Good morning. I was telling Kobe a while ago, uh, I went up in the sound booth before church to, uh, to make sure that my sermon slides had gone across, and I just kind of chuckled to myself. The first song we sang today was Life Defined, and today we're going to talk about defining freedom, which uh, really is kind of saying the same thing. Uh, so I'm excited about what the Lord has for us today, so uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in in just a minute, but I wanted to recap a little bit uh, where we were last week and what we talked about. There were, uh, some people were here, some people were not, but I wanted to um, just kind of explain it. We're going through a kind of a process right now of, of understanding. We've been talking about for a year about what it means to join God to set people free, and at the end of that study, I thought it would be really important for us to really understand what it means to be free, and that's what we're going to talk primarily about today, but last Last week we talked about what it means to stand for freedom. Um, so we, we talked about really three things. Last weekend was, uh, was Stand Sunday, and it's a day that's set aside for us uh, as a church to pray for orphans. It's not something that just we did. It's an it's a, uh, international thing that's happening all over the world. We did that last week. And so the message about freedom really revolved a lot around our call as believers um, to orphans and orphan care. Uh, so we looked at three things. The first thing we talked about was standing for freedom is the result of who we are in Christ. And so when we are, when we are standing up for freedom, whether it's for an orphan or someone else, that, that is a result of who we are in Christ. It's not something that we just decide to do outside of um, the work of the Lord. We could, but that's not his intent. His intent is for us as we are abiding to stand with him for those that need to be stood up for. Um, and that it's our daily walk with God that causes us to stand. Number two, we looked at how we... We were reminded last week that it's our call as believers, not just some of us, but all of us, to stand and to care for orphans. Uh, you know, those, the, the, the children that find themselves in the foster care system and, and, and uh, a place of, of being an orphan, they're trapped in that world. They didn't choose to be there. It's not their fault. And there's nothing that they can do to get themselves out. That process is always traumatic. It doesn't how, matter how they end up there because... God's intent for us, right, is to live in a family structure. That's why he created us the way he does. And so God is clear in his word about our responsibility as a church to care for those children. Um, I asked you guys last week to, to make a commitment to pray. There are 18 children in Alexandria that are waiting for adoption. They've been cleared and freed for adoption, and they're waiting for their forever families. And so what I asked you to do last week, we, we showed their pictures uh, and their names on the screen, and I asked you guys to just pick one and pray for one of those children until we until they find their forever family. So hopefully you're doing that. Bethany and I are praying for a little boy named David. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do in his life. And my hope is that as we're praying for them, that God can speak in our, own, in our own hearts, in our own lives, and show us what our role is to be in the care of orphans in our community. And we talk about that can take a lot of different shapes. It could be being a foster parent or an adoptive parent, or it could be being a CASA volunteer, or, or helping a family who is... Who is receive that call that may be your call to assist so that can take a lot of different shapes um, and then lastly we discussed that being like Christ means that we drink from the same cup that he did we looked at uh, the passage in John where Jesus is in the garden and Peter cuts the ear off the guard when they try to arrest him and and he he tells Peter no he said would you not have me drink from the cup the cup that my father has provided for me and we talked about our call to stand for freedom means sometimes that we like Jesus drink deeply from that cup of suffering whether it's our own or we're walking with someone who is going through that suffering, but it's part of who we are. We cannot ignore those people. Sometimes what we need to do is walk right into those awkward moments and pray and love and cry together. That's how Jesus lived his life. He met people right where they were, whether they were, uh, well, they all were in sin because we all are, but Jesus meets us right where we are and he loves us and that love changes who we are. 
And so as we talk about sharing freedom with other people, that's what it's going to look like. It's, it's us doing life with people right where they are, right where we are, and in the midst of our brokenness, we experience freedom because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. And we're going to dive into that a little bit today. But God provides those opportunities, just like he did for Jesus, for us to love people. And that's what, that's what this is about. That may be a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, or anyone else that God has brought into your life. But at the end of the day, we need to recognize that standing for freedom is a part of who we are as believers. It's not a call for some of us. It is a call for all of us. Um, and we need to understand the truth of that because that's what Jesus is about. And we ended last week talking about Jesus always said, I only do what the Father is doing. And that's our call as believers to do the same as we abide to do what God is doing along with him. Okay? So today we're going to look at... Um, uh, the Beatitudes, which come out of Matthew chapter 5. Before we do that, we're going to go into kind of information mode. So hang with me for a minute because there's a couple of things that are really important for us to understand about the Beatitudes that are going to help us uh, to fully understand what Jesus was trying to communicate because I was, I was sharing with Bethany last night. You know, my, in my own life, because of the way I was raised and stuff, I always looked at the Beatitudes as a checklist. You know, it was another, it was an addition to the law. Here are the things that I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to respond but that's not what Jesus' intent was. And so as we dive into that today, the first thing I want us to see is that the Beatitudes are proclamations of where we are, not where we're going. When Jesus talks about that, he's talking about the present tense. For the people that Jesus is teaching and for us, we hear those ideas and we assume that Jesus is talking about something that is to come. And we think that way because of our past experiences. We think that way because we've grown up in an environment where these things that Jesus is describing is not our current reality. And so we think, well, if it's not our current reality, it must be one that is to come. Dead religion has misinformed all of us about what kingdom life is like. And Jesus, his whole purpose in coming is saying, guys, you've, you've missed it. God was not trying to make you righteous through the law. The law was just here to show you that you're not. And I am the answer to that. I am the truth. I am the life. So nearly all of the current translations include a, the verb are, A-R-E, in those blessings. It says, blessed are. And that are is the verb in that sentence. But when Jesus communicated this in the original language in Aramaic, that, that word was not there. We put it there in our translations because it's a verb and we need a verb in our sentences, right? That's how our, our literature structure works. But those words are not in there. This is... This verb is not in the original language, and it changes the way we understand that. Jesus isn't saying you would be blessed if you do these things. Jesus is not saying you are blessed if you are meek. Jesus is saying you are blessed. See, I can't even say it without saying are. He's saying that these qualities exist in the kingdom of which we are a part of as believers in Christ. One of the commentaries I read this week said this. It said, the Beatitudes are not simple statements. They are exclamations. Oh, the blessedness of, poor, of the poor in spirit. He says that that is the most important, for it means that the Beatitudes are not pious hopes of what shall be. They are not glowing but vague prophecies of some future bliss. They are congratulations on what is. The blessedness which belongs to Christians is not a blessedness which is postponed for some future world of glory. It is a blessedness which exists here and now. It is not something into which Christians will enter. It is something into which they have entered. 
So the second thing I want us to understand today is that they describe a condition that cannot be affected by our current circumstances. So we are in a place as believers where we are living in this world that Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. And we need to understand that because we are living in that world, the world that Jesus describes, that is not affected by what we're going through in life. The suffering, the things that that are affecting each of us individually that cause us stress, those things are not changing the way Jesus describes the kingdom. Jesus is defining for the people the qualities of kingdom life. And he's not adding to the law or the checklist, okay? Jesus is showing us that if we are abiding, this is what our life will be like. And for me, that's good news. And in in addition to that, our American understanding of what it means to be blessed is not what Jesus is describing in this passage. That commentary went on to say that the word blessed, which is used in each of the Beatitudes, is a very special word. It's a Greek word, makarios. And makarios is a word which, which specially described the gods, the Greek gods. In Christianity, there's a godlike joy. The best definition, the commentary was talking about it, that, that could be used to under, for us to understand this word blessed, this special word, is um, there was an island that one of the, God, the Greek deities was believed to, um, to live on. It was actually, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head now. But this island was so fertile, it was so beautiful that there was no need to move in beyond the beach, that everything you needed for the perfect, happy life was right there. Right as you entered that island, it was there. And he says that this then describes that joy which is, has its secret within itself, that joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained, that joy which is completely independent of all chances and changes of the life. So that's the joy that Jesus is talking about when he says blessed. Since the English word happiness gives its own case away, it contains the root word hap, which means chance. Human happiness is something which is dependent upon the chances and the changes of life, something which life may give and which life may also destroy. The Christian blessedness is completely untouchable and unassailable. No one, said Jesus, will take your joy from you. The Beatitudes speak of that joy which seeks us through our pain, that joy which sorrow and loss and pain and grief are powerless to touch, that joy which signs through tears and which nothing in life or death can take away. I don't know how you're receiving that, but for me that's good news because there is a lot of pain in my life. There has been, I know those, and I know that there will be, but for Jesus to say that I will be blessed because I am part of the kingdom, not because of what's happening in my life, is good news. Jesus, again, is not teaching about us, about how life can be, that one day when we attain a certain status, that this is what our life will look like. Jesus is saying, this is life now. He is making that proclamation, and that this life is made possible because of who God is, not because of who we are. We experience this joy because of God, not because of our, our circumstances. There's a profound distinction between the two. And, and he's making sure that we understand that the world's understanding of happiness and the joy that we find in the Lord are not the same thing. Happiness is temporary. And, and you know this to be true, right? I, a great example yesterday, um, Bethany and I had some people over for brunch. We ate some, like we had bread pudding for breakfast. I mean, like it was good. Some awesome coffee that Chris had, had roasted for me. We had eggs, bacon, the whole thing. Now you're hungry. You're welcome. 
Okay, it was incredible. We had some great conversation. The company left. Life was good. I was happy. And then the kids told me that the dog pooped on the back porch while we were having our breakfast. And the happiness was gone. Just like that. Like, my mood changed. Everything was like, like, it was just, it was gone. But joy is different. Joy is forever. It's not derailed by our circumstances. And while we go through hard times, that joy is not taken away from us because of those hard times. Look, I've, I've shared with you guys before how much I enjoy my job, my job at Petron. I have found incredible joy in that occupation. But that doesn't mean that there aren't days when my job is hard. Friday was an extremely hard day, and I was telling Bethany, I knew it was going to be hard before I got to work. They've, it's a, a long story, but Gil Barco, the company that we distribute for it, had these incredible deals on gas pumps, which I know is not exciting. But that deal ended Friday, and I knew what was going to happen. Everyone always waits to the last minute to spend their money. And so Friday, I worked from 8 a.m. as hard as I could until about 7 o'clock that night placing orders. And it was, it was difficult. I spent over half a million dollars. Like, I can't mess that up, right? That's a big deal. And so all of that stress is on top of me. However, deep down, I fully understood that the stress of that day would soon be over. And it did not make me hate my job and say, I never want to come back to this job again. Why? Because God called me to that job. And I, because of that, I love it. You see, my joy wasn't taken away because of one bad day. That one bad day allowed me to remember how much joy I find in my job and to say this soon will pass this will be over the truth is that God gave me that job and that that is the foundation of my joy not my current situation that's the power of the joy that Jesus is talking about what he's describing in the Beatitudes and you may ask yourself well what does I got to do with freedom today we're talking about freedom and all you've talked about is Beatitudes okay let me tie this together Israel like we've been studying had been freed from slavery in Egypt. They had experienced their freedom through deliverance. The freedom that we are bringing people to, that the Lord has brought us to, through the Holy Spirit, is freedom from slavery, but from sin and death. To be introduced to the joy of the Father is to be set free. Freedom that comes from the Father is eternal freedom. We are joining God to set people free from sin and death. We are making an introduction so that God can bring them into eternal joy. You see, this life that Jesus is describing in these Beatitudes is freedom. It's freedom to say, you know what, my life is really hard right now, but it's okay. Because this does not define who I am. We experience and are given freedom when we are brought from death to life. So we know this, but by living the perfect life, Jesus did what we could not do. He fulfilled the law. We're going to jump past the Beatitudes for just a second. Hang with me. We're going to get there. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will call, be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus got to live the life that we were intended to live originally when God created the garden. 
He lived that perfect life that we were offered. God wanted us to be able to walk with Him daily, abiding in His presence. Freedom is found not by relaxing the law, which has been the, the, the goal of the church for a long time. For a long time we've talked about how, well, let's, let's paint the Scripture in this light so it'll be easier for people to listen to. It'll be easier for them to apply to their life. And Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. Because again, we're not meant to fulfill the law. And by trying to make the law easy, that's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to make it easy for people to accomplish. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Jesus is saying, let the law be the law and let me fulfill it for you. We see this in the garden when Satan twisted God's word. When he went to Eve and say, well, did God really say you would die? Well, no, that's not actually what he said. And she took a bite. Satan twists what God intended for our good and turns it into something bad. The point of the law is to show that we are not God. The point of the law is to point to God. Instead of living in the truth that we can't fulfill the law, we try to live as if we can. Unintentional as it is, by doing that, we are choosing death instead of life. When we try to fulfill the law in our own power, we are choosing death instead of life. And we're not choosing death because that's what we want. We want to live in freedom, but we have believed the lie that we can bring ourselves into freedom through our own power. We look at the Ten Commandments. We look at the Beatitudes. We say, if I can just be that, I'm going to work really hard, and then I'll finally be free. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be because we cannot do it. When Jesus is teaching on the mount, this is the very thing he's trying to communicate. So in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, he says, on one day, he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Look, we are those people. We gather. That is what we do and we're good at it. We gather here. We gather in homes. But it's not just us. We gather people with us. The people that God has put in our lives. We gather to hear and also to proclaim the freedom that Christ has provided for us through the cross. We are here to proclaim the freedom that people are longing for, that they're striving for. We get the opportunity to share that, that true freedom is not found in America. It's not found in our democracy, our laws, our rights. You and I have experienced true freedom through our relationship with Jesus. But that's not the kind of freedom that the world is searching for. We discovered freedom comes through the grace of God. And we have an opportunity to share that message with others. That we are free from the law. We are free from guilt. We are free from sin. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. We've discovered that true, lasting freedom is found in Jesus. So let's look at this. Look at what Jesus defines as blessedness. Okay, And remembering, he, he is describing what it, it looks like to live in the kingdom, which is freedom. So I pulled this out of the message because I felt like it did a really good job of bringing it to a place where our hearts can digest it easily this morning, okay? So you can, if you got the ESV or NIV or whatever, it's going to sound a little different, but it's the same message. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. 
You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. It's that moment of being careful you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Isn't it incredible how different what Jesus is defining as freedom is from what we typically experience in our culture? This is not hashtag blessed, okay? If you don't know what that is, just pull up Twitter and you can hashtag blessed and you'll see a whole bunch of stuff. That's not what this is, okay? This is not what the, the world defines as blessed. In fact, the usage of that, that hashtag is the complete opposite of what Jesus is talking about. If you're unfamiliar with hashtag blessed, it's like, just got a new car, hashtag blessed. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Our culture is selling a freedom that's not freedom at all. Right? Do you, do you understand that? That what our culture calls freedom is not freedom, it's actually slavery? We fight and we claw our way through life chasing things that we think we need but ultimately do not matter. They don't matter. I've spent time with several people over the last few weeks who are so frustrated with their lives. They're working so hard to build something and it just won't work. I think they feel that way because they're chasing the world's version of freedom. What they want is freedom. That's what they desire. But the world is giving them slavery that's disguised as freedom and they can't understand why they don't feel free. And you know this in your own life. You think, if I just get this new job, I'll be happy. If I just get this promotion, I'll be where I need to be. If I just get this new car, if I just get a bigger house, and every time we just get that next thing, we find ourselves empty. The high lasts for just a moment. And then we're thinking about that next thing we just need. That's not freedom. That's slavery. That is being a slave to the things of this world. These people that I talk to, these are good people. They have grown up in church, doing good things, and they're dumbfounded as to why they're not happy. And what I know from my own life is because I've finally given up my own aspirations to be something, to try to climb a ladder, what I've discovered is that the joy that I have is found in who Jesus is, not the things that I can accomplish. You and I have been given the information and the experiences that communicate true freedom. We know what it means to be free. We understand what it means, we understand what it looks like, and we know what it feels like. 
The last point I want to make today is that a godly life is defined by freedom and it reveals freedom. What is it that God set set Israel apart? What set Israel apart from everyone else? His presence. Luke's raising his hand. He knew the answer. His presence in their lives is what set them apart from all other nations around them. And the, the same is still true for us. God's presence in our lives is what sets us apart from other people. Not in a way that we can take credit for. He's not setting us apart to lord over or to taunt others about, look how good my life is, hashtag blessed, compared to yours. We have nothing to brag about because the blessings that we have received are not things that the world necessarily says is a good thing. If we are who God has called us to be, our freedom is defined by the Beatitudes that we just read. If we are living kingdom life, those Beatitudes are not a prediction about who we will be. It is the truth about who we are because of Christ. Look what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Look, I love salt. Probably too much. Probably bad for my health. I don't even know what it does to you, but I know it's not good. Okay? Especially Cajun salt. We call that Tony's. If you're unfamiliar with it, I'll hook you up. Salt is good, right? But here's the thing about salt. This is not true about Tony's, but salt. Salt doesn't add flavor. Did you know that? It enhances the flavors that are already there. It takes the things that are already there and it just simply highlights them. I don't know if you've ever eaten someone's food who doesn't use salt, but it's not great. But then you can eat some, some food that's really well seasoned and you go, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I ever had. Salt doesn't change the flavor. It enhances it. Look, God isn't telling us to try and change the world by who we are. He's saying, just be you, be mine, and that's enough. You just be you and you be mine, and by doing that, you will be the salt of the earth. You're not adding anything to it. You're enhancing what is already there. You are taking the things that are in this world, you are putting a little God light on them, and people are going, whoa, did you see what just happened here? And we don't get the credit for that, and that's good. God gets the credit. People begin to see who He is. The goal here is not for us to put on airs, to show people that we're somebodies. The goal here is for us to be a nobody. To be ourselves and to be God's, and that's enough. By simply abiding in Christ, we're going to enhance the lives of others. We're not changing those lives, but by being there, those lives are going to be a little bit better than they were before. Not because of who we are, but because of who we're bringing with us. As the Holy Spirit works in their lives, they're going to be drawn near to Him. They are tasting through your life what it means to live in freedom. If we're daily drawing near to God, striving to abide, and doing what God says, we will be the salt and the light. 
and we're not serving out of our own perfection. I think we get caught in that trap so often. We think, man, this part of my life, got it. Y'all come see what I'm good at. And we put that on display. And that's what the world tries to do, right? They say, look at these things that I'm really good at. You should want to be like me. And when we do that, when we try to serve out of our own perfection, we are bringing people to slavery, not freedom. Because they're trying to be something they weren't meant to be. We're free because we are living to please God alone. And when we serve up our own perfection and say, this is the example, this is how you should live, when we fake it, when we try to live a perfect life in front of others, they see that perfection and they think, I could never belong there because I'm not good like that. When we try to serve up our own perfection, it actually pushes people away. You know, we put stuff on social media all the time try to make people think that our lives are perfect. And instead of drawing those people to us, it pushes them away from us. And like they even make commercials about that. It's a, what was the, um, it was a, I think an insurance commercial where these two people are looking at somebody's Instagram and they're like, oh, it's so-and-so. That, who looks perfect in their pictures? Oh, hey, y'all know the commercial I'm talking about? That's how we end up living life. Because we're trying to make ourselves appear to be perfect and it pushes people away from us. There is so much good that happens when we're authentic about what's going on in our lives. When we say, you know what? My life is screwed up, but God loves me anyway. And I know that your life is messed up too, but guess what? God loves you too, just like he loves me. And when we're, when we're authentic with people, when we live life in front of them and say, hey, look, I don't have it all together. People go, hey, they're like me. And if Jesus loves them like they are, he must surely also love me. That's what draws people in. When we live with authenticity and we allow others to see our flaws, we open up our lives for people to see what freedom looks like. Because trying to be something all the time is exhausting. I've been there. Look, if you go back and look at old pictures of me on Facebook, I had that chronic neck condition where you're doing this all the time because your hair is in your face. Bethany has a straightener in our bathroom that I bought for me. True story, okay? For many years of my life, I was trying to be somebody. You know, there were all these images in the youth ministry world of what a youth pastor was supposed to be. I had the little sling bag. I had the long hair. I had the Puma shoes. Uh, you know, I had all the stuff. But it wasn't me. It was somebody else. And people knew that. Some of you laughing because you knew that area of my life, Kyle. <laughs> but we all go through that. That's not the freedom. When we look at these Beatitudes, when we look at the life that Jesus is describing, we often look at that and we go, okay, I just need to be more meek, right? I need more meekness in my life. Or we say, I need to be more poor in spirit. No one says that, right? That's not a thing we want. But that happens. That's true about all of us. All of us can look back, probably on the last week and go, man, that day I was really poor in spirit. Life was tough and I was struggling. Look, and the truth is we all have those days. And the way that we, def we live our lives defines for people what true freedom is. We get the opportunity to say to people, look, my life is hard right now, but I know that Jesus loves me. And I know that the, His joy 
is what's in me. I know that this is only momentary and that it's going to pass and that life is going to be okay. I know that things are hard right now, but I know that God has not forgotten me and I know that he's still there for me. When we do that, we allow people to see the light of Jesus shining through us because that's not normal. It's not normal for your world to be falling apart and you go, it's okay, it's all right. Everything's okay. God's got this. He's got it under control. He knows where I am. And people are going, have you lost your mind? Have you lost it? How how are you not stressed right now? Well, I'm just not because I trust God. That's freedom. Freedom is not running around trying to do all the things and try to fix all the things. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel like freedom. People experience the freedom that they've been looking for as they walk through life with us. Our daily walk with God, our daily abiding with God is what defines freedom. And so for you and I, that's our call. We can't give freedom, we can't experience freedom, we can't join God to set people free if we aren't free ourselves. And the only way to become free is to quit trying. To stop trying to do all the things. Stop trying to be somebody and just be yourself and be God's. And that's enough. God doesn't need more than that and the world doesn't need more of that and you don't need more of that. When we live that way, it takes this world's tired, old-fashioned idea of freedom and it goes, that's not freedom. Let me show you real freedom. Let me show you the freedom of not having to worry about the things in your life or worry about what people think about you or worry about how you're going to pay your car note or worry about how you're going to put food on the table because you know by experience that God is going to take care of those things. Church, all we have to do is be God's. That's it. You want to experience freedom? Just be God's. Don't try to be anything else. You want to help people who are around you experience freedom? Define that for them by the way you live, by trusting in Jesus moment by moment as you abide and let them taste and see the goodness of that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you give us joy, that as we live in your kingdom here and now, that no matter what we're going through, where we are in life, that you love us and that we can find our joy in that that right in the middle of our sin right in the middle of things that are going wrong you say hey it's okay i got it you're not too far gone god i ask that this week that as we pursue you daily moment by moment that you would continue to reveal areas of our lives where we are still stuck in the slavery of sin and death that you would point those things out and show us the way to freedom. And God, that we would be um, bold enough to share those vulnerable moments with other people so that they can see that you are freeing them as well, that they have that same opportunity that we have. God, help us to understand that just being ourselves and being yours is enough. That that is defining freedom. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all please stand. Let's worship together.